0: Hi, everyone. It's Casper here. We've got some fabulous live shows coming up that we hope you'll be able to join us for. We're in Cambridge, Massachusetts on October 2nd, Washington, D.C. on November 7th, Chicago, Illinois, where my uncle was born, on November 21st, and St. Louis on December 19th. We hope to see you there.
1: Chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort. Hermione screamed. Black leapt to his feet. Harry jumped as though he'd received a huge electric shock. I found this at the base of the Whomping Willow, said Snape. throwing the I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
0: And I'm Caspar Terkile.
1: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
0: There's a very famous Rembrandt painting in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg. And it was one of the last paintings that he painted before he died. And it's of the biblical story of the prodigal son. So really the focus of the painting is the young son who grew up in a wealthy household and selfishly asked for his inheritance early and went out into the world and threw it all away. And ended up in dire poverty when he realizes, I should return to my father and I will not be his son, but I will work on the farm with the other laborers. And so he's kind of kneeling in this painting and he's lost a sandal and he's wearing rags. And to the right of him stands the other brother who is richly clothed in a beautiful robe. And that brother has followed the rules all through his life. He's worked hard. He's never complained. He's not asked for his inheritance early and so he's looking on as their father embraces the young son as he's welcomed home. And the father says, let's celebrate the fact that this child has returned. You know, I thought he was lost and now he's found. Let's slaughter the fat calf and I'm going to give him a ring and give him new shoes. And the older brother is kind of annoyed because he's been the good child and has worked really hard and has never asked for much. And here's this wasteful child returning and all the gifts are being given to him. But the painting, I think, is striking on its own. But there's a wonderful commentary on this painting by Henry Nouwen, who's a Dutch Catholic priest, who wrote a book basically doing a sort of sacred reading of this painting and thinking about the spiritual life as a journey through each of these three characters, that we all start kind of rejecting where we come from, like the younger son and return, but that we're also like the older son and kind of jealous of other people who have a good time and resentful. But his conclusion is that really the journey of spiritual growth or maturation is one to becoming the father, that we no longer need forgiveness or mercy, but that we are the ones who give it. And that struck me so much as we read this chapter through the theme of mercy. And we're returning to that theme. We started Prisoner of Azkaban with that theme. And I think there's so much to unpack there. And it challenged me because it reframed The process of becoming more human as one of maybe becoming more merciful. So I wanted to talk about that theme with you today.
1: Casper, I've been sitting here looking at this painting and it's so beautiful. And I love the idea that the maturation process is sort of a process of becoming more and more merciful And I'm really excited to talk to you because Harry, who's so young, is so merciful in this chapter. And Snape, who is supposed to be this matured professor, is so withholding of this mercy. And so I'm really excited to talk to you about this today.
0: Vanessa, it's time for the 30-second recap. I feel like there's a lot of action in this chapter, so I'm excited to see your kind of like movie voiceover voice. Like, I think that's exciting.
1: Oh, okay. I sort of like that approach.
0: In a world.
1: (laughs) In a world in which Snape is a total jerk. Yeah. Just kidding. (laughs) Okay,
0: Okay, we've got 30 seconds on the clock. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one, go.
1: So Snape is like hi it's me and it's <laughs> like uh, Lupin you're a werewolf and Sirius you're a murderer and so I'm gonna have the Dementors kill you both and then the kids knock him out and um, they, Sirius wants to kill Pettigrew and Harry is like no don't kill him my parents wouldn't want you to be a murderer and they're like okay we're gonna go out and we're gonna turn in Peter Pettigrew and everything is gonna be okay and Harry will you live with me and he's like yes of course and th- it's and sort of happy Pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Casper, are you ready to fill in all the blanks that I no doubt left in? Sure thing. On your mark, get set,
0: go. In a world where you've been living as a rat for the last 12 years, and you're caught by your old best friends who you used to look up to, and you're new owner thinks you're really a rat but you're actually a man now comes the time when you transform and um so peter Pettigrew becomes a man again and um harry really believes sirius and he's like oh my god i believe you and Pettigrew's like no someone help me no 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 and then yeah harry saves him and like they float sirius um no they float snape down the corridor and everyone comes out and but it's a full moon.
1: You kept that shtick going for a while. That was impressive.
0: (laughs) About halfway through, I was like, "Uh."
1: (laughs) But I really thought you were going to stop after in a world. You just kept going.
0: Well, you know, I'm feeling extra confident, Vanessa, because on all three of our East Coast tour dates, I was crowned the 32nd champion.
1: Yeah. I don't know what happened there.
0: I feel like maybe in person, what I do really translates better than just through people's ears.
1: (laughs) I was very proud of you the entire tour.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks.
1: So, Casper, I would like to start where I often like to start, which is what the heck is wrong with Snape? (laughs) He is like, kids, shut up. All I have to do is call the Dementors once we get out of the willow. They'll be pleased to see you, Black, pleased enough to give you a little kiss, I dare say. Then, just for good measure, he's like, oh, Lupin, maybe the Dementors are going to be excited to see you as a werewolf. Worst thing of all, he calls Hermione, stupid girl, and tells her to shut up. He is not even interested in the real information, and he is not looking to extol any mercy he's just looking to like wreak havoc and revenge for a prank that it sounds like didn't even really happen what are your thoughts on this
0: i mean obviously he's wrong but like from his perspective i don't know if i would act so differently right someone who i have really despised for a long time and who bullied me has been helped in by someone who i haven't trusted since the beginning right he's always been wary of lupin and now here I'm catching them both with three of my least favorite students and justice needs to be done. And I'm going to maybe enjoy catching the wrongdoers a little bit. I, obviously, it's not what he should do, but I understand why.
1: Yes. So I wonder if what he's looking for is some sort of like sense of justice rather than a
0: sense of mercy. You could say he's like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son where he's like, I've done everything right. Except be a death eater for a little while. But, you know, since then I've done everything right and I've followed all the rules. And like, here's Sirius, who wreaked havoc, and Lupin, who's a werewolf. Why is he allowed to be back and so embraced by Dumbledore? You know, he's resentful of the way that Lupin has been treated and how he's loved by his students when he's been standing there the whole time not like you can make that comparison.
1: Yes, you couldn't make that comparison. I like the comparison of Snape to the older son in that parable. However, you would think that that moment in which he was a death eater would give him a greater sense of empathy and mm. a sense of mercy. I honestly get excited when you make a mistake because I'm like, oh, that creates more room for me to mess up one day because I make mistakes, too. And if you're not perfect, that gives me room to forgive myself when I make a mistake. And so I just feel like Snape could be like, okay, now I get to forgive myself for the fact that I was a death eater. I get to give out this mercy and sort of want people to forgive me, too. It could give him the social capital to really be forgiven.
0: I love that. This is all revealing that Snape hasn't really forgiven himself, which we know, of course, right? That's going to become more and more obvious later in the books. But his unwillingness to integrate his different experiences in life and own up to what he did wrong and to kind of heal from that experience in its own way means that he's acting in a way that, like, he's 14 too, right? He hasn't really matured. It's really stunted his ability to show mercy, for example.
1: I'm not defending Snape, but I do wonder to what extent the fact that he has to remain this possible double agent keeps him from integrating all of his different identities. Yes, Because something that our mentor, Stephanie Paulsell, has said is that the best way to live your life is as if it is all one life. You don't have a work self and a personal self, but you have a self that you're comfortable with that you feel as though you can bring to any space. And Snape, to some extent, isn't afforded that opportunity because he has to be able to maintain this, like, Death Eater undercover bit. But I still just think that this would be an amazing opportunity for him to solidify his Hogwarts identity a little bit, to make room for him to forgive himself and, you know, bestow some mercy upon himself Particularly because everybody in this room is really dealing with the ways that they have betrayed Lily and James. And Snape is someone who has betrayed Lily and is spending his entire life trying to make up for it. This could be an opportunity for him to, like, bond with these other people.
0: Oh, my God. I have so many thoughts. Okay, So, one... It's really interesting, this idea that Snape is being kept in this dual identity that he can't integrate in the way that you said by Dumbledore. And I think if we want to go with the like queer Dumbledore story there's someone who is living two lives who is now making Snape live two lives you know at the very top of this pyramid there's someone who's living a divided life so I think that's a really interesting thought that
1: is really interesting we tend to like impose our own problems upon somebody else even inadvertently just because it's the way we see the
0: world exactly it's
1: like oh we all have to live double lives go ahead Snape
0: exactly exactly and then secondly I love this idea that everyone in that room is dealing with Lily and James and how they've betrayed them. And I think we've been using this word mercy and forgiveness kind of interchangeably. And what you've helped me think of is that I think we can forgive ourselves, but mercy can only be be bestowed by others, maybe. And so everyone in that room feels like they've failed Lily and James, but there's no one who can grant mercy except for Harry, and that's what he's going to do in this chapter, but to the most unlikely recipient.
1: I love the idea that forgiveness is something we can do to ourselves, but mercy is an external relational thing. And that to some extent, you need the right people to literally be alive in order to be granted mercy. Sometimes mercy cannot be granted just because the chips have fallen and these people are no longer accessible to us. Except I also love the idea that Harry, to a large extent, has suffered just as much as Lily and James. And so he can bestow mercy on their behalf.
0: Yeah, because I later in the chapter, you know, when he is merciful to Pettigrew, Sirius says, you're the only one who is allowed to do that. It seems like Harry has some authority to grant mercy.
1: Absolutely. Sirius, at minimum, gives him that authority. I just also love the idea theologically that ghosts can't grant mercy. And I think the reason that I like that is that something in a lot of God-based forgiveness theology that bothers me is that it doesn't account for people who have just suffered until they have died. A lot of theology sort of skirts around those things by saying God works in mysterious ways. Those people are in heaven now. They're better off. And that is the theological move that keeps me an atheist. And I'm just trying to parse out how I feel about the fact that Harry is allowed to grant mercy. And I think that it's, it's a lesser... Mercy that Harry can grant than the mercy that would have been accessible to Lily forgiving Snape and by forgiving Snape granting full mercy upon Snape.
0: So I think this is the bit that we always talk about because I think this is where we land differently in terms of how we think about what God might be. I was thinking about mercy, especially this morning through, you know, in Islam, like mercy is one of the most important words. And there's this beautiful tradition of reciting the 99 names of God. And so many are to do with mercy. It's God, the all merciful, the most merciful, the compassionate, the loving, the bestower. So I think especially for Muslims, like you can nearly equate God with mercy itself, And that is really appealing to me in the sense that in the situation that you described, where the people who have suffered and who have been victims are not there to grant mercy, that I don't know, in some way, like what we call God might be a kind of break in that chain of suffering that offers mercy so that we don't have to continue that cycle of, of violence or of, that that's the thing that counterbalances that cycle.
1: Yeah. And I think that this is where my Jewish upbringing really comes to the fore, because in Judaism, the only way to get mercy is through action. There's the famous idea of tikkun olam, which is the idea to heal the world. And it's a story in the Talmud that the world gets broken into, you know, infinite pieces and that it's each of our responsibilities to try to mend those pieces and that there are a lot of ways to mend those Pieces. In fact, by falling in love with somebody, and yeah, by falling in love with somebody, you help heal the world, and that through acts of mercy, you help heal the world. And the idea is that even just by marrying someone, you're helping to heal them because you're bringing them a benevolent listener and partner. Ideally. (laughs) In theory. (laughs) So I think that, you know, this is just my Judaism presenting itself in terms of how I look at mercy, that mercy is only granted through action. And we see, I mean, Harriet's sort of a Jew in this moment, right? (laughs) He's like, (laughs) I don't know whether or not God is going to forgive you all. That's not up to me. But Peter Pettigrew, I will act mercifully. But what's so interesting is that Harry sees himself as bestowing mercy upon Lupin and
0: Sirius. Yes. It's not actually about Peter because he says, James wouldn't want you to become murderers. That's such an interesting idea for me.
1: But I love that idea because by granting mercy to one person, you're actually granting mercy to everyone. Right? He is saying... I'm trying to live up to my mother's and father's memories, and he would want to absolve you serious. He would want to grant mercy upon you. And so don't become the murderer that you yes. never were. Yes. And by Harry bestowing that mercy upon Sirius, mercy is bestowed upon Pettigrew. And I think that one of the big lessons that I have learned throughout doing this podcast is that one intention moves the same thing on and on in this iterative way. I mean, Dumbledore having to live a double life means that he's making Snape live a double life. Harry really believing that James would entirely grant mercy upon Lupin and Sirius creates mercy for Pettigrew, right? Like, whatever intention we bring to a situation, I think, just becomes a snowball. And so it invigorates me to really try to bring good intentions to things because those intentions just grow exponentially.
0: Yeah, just like hurt people hurt people. And I think you said this in the first chapter that mercy begets mercy. That's so true.
1: But you know me. I forget things I say, (laughs) and then I have to learn them 800 times before I learn them.
0: I think we're all in the same boat.
1: (laughs) This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Quip. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text listeners, I don't want to scare you, but three members of the Not Sorry Productions team have recently lost a tooth. Now, none of this was because of bad brushing. It was because of accidents that happened. But I am concerned about people who love Harry Potter and their teeth. Quips Electric Toothbrush can help you in your routine of keeping your teeth healthy and sparkling clean. and why it's perfect for getting back into a routine after the summer. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Potter right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Potter. My brother and sister-in-law have a fig tree, and it makes me sad because I live 3,000 miles away from the fig tree, And I love figs. I think they are like proof of a higher being. Now, I resent them less because due to Fleur's amazing Hanami scent, I get to smell like the fig tree. They make stunning, non-toxic perfumes and they list all of their ingredients online. You get a good scent made with clean ingredients. And the sample process is just good old fun. Go to Fleur.com slash Harry Potter today to check out our curated sample set and get 20% off of your first custom Fleur sample set. That's P-H-L-U-R dot com slash Harry Potter to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. Fleur.com slash Harry Potter. But I just want to take a second here to separate what mercy and forgiveness is. And this is only going to get us, like, Tenth of the way there. But I think what Harry is imagining in granting mercy to Pettigrew, Sirius, and Lupin in this entangled way is that James would say to Sirius, There's nothing to forgive, mm. right? That you've done nothing wrong. You made a strategic error out of wanting to protect us. And so I grant mercy upon you. I withhold all judgment. There's no act of retribution that I desire or that I will do. There's no resentment. There's like no residual negativity. There's just gratitude for your good intentions. That doesn't take us the whole way there between the difference between forgiveness and mercy, because I think often we grant mercy when there is an action to forgive, a sort of sin to forgive. But I think that that might be what Harry is saying in this moment, right, is that James wouldn't even see that you'd done anything that needs forgiveness. Like, let's just start handing out mercy. What do you think the difference between forgiveness and mercy is? Or is there somewhere else in the text that you think will help us separate those two more?
0: It's such an interesting question. And I think, you know, a place where we see forgiveness is for so many years lupin had thought sirius was the spy who killed everyone and who shared the secret of where the potters were and we've seen that in the previous chapter that lupin's like oh my god i'm so sorry and very quickly realizes what he's done but we also in this chapter learn that sirius thought that lupin was the spy that's why he asked pettigrew to be the secret keeper and there's this beautiful moment where they both realize that they suspected each other. And again, there's this very quick moment of forgiveness. Lupin says, will you forgive me? And yes, yeah, I will. So I think that's an example of forgiveness where it's about the emotive piece. And mercy seems to really be about the actions that are involved. You know, we're not going to kill Pettigrew; We're going to send him to Azkaban. No one is forgiving him for what he's done. But Harry is granting mercy. He's saying, I don't want you to be killed, but I do want you to suffer very clearly. He's like, you deserve it. I think that's maybe the difference that I see.
1: I agree. And just like you can withhold forgiveness and yet enact mercy, you can withhold mercy, but enact forgiveness, which is something we've talked about before on the podcast, just like in the Emanuel Church shooting that had happened. This is a, a group of people who testified very shortly after the shooting saying, I forgive you, but the state is still pressing charges. Mercy is not being granted.
0: Right. And you see, Pettigrew is not asking for forgiveness. He's asking for mercy. I mean, the word itself shows up in the chapter. You know, he says, James wouldn't have wanted me killed. James would have understood. Harry, he would have shown me mercy, which is so striking. And so... Manipulative. Oh, he goes around everyone. This I thought was masterful. I mean, I'm amazed how Pettigrew ended up in Gryffindor because he says to Ron, oh, you were such a good master. Right. He's appealing to like Ron's inner need to be glorious and powerful. And then he says to Hermione, oh, you clever girl. Right. And then he says to Harry, like your dad, you know, so he knows exactly which buttons to press.
1: Not only is it a wonder that he ever got into Gryffindor, I also wonder, you know, to the point of mercy begets mercy and, you know, one emotion just continuing in this exponential way. It seems to me that Sirius Lupin and James let Pettigrew into their friend group out of a sense of, like, pity, right? Mm. He was always the follower. He was always the one who, like, needed extra help. And Sirius even says to Pettigrew, like, you were a hanger-on, right? And I wonder if, like, they never respected Pettigrew. And that is part of why he, like, was so willing to go over to Voldemort and was constantly willing to place himself in whatever group would protect him at any given time. They were really friends with him out of pity, which reinforced this idea that he wasn't deserving of good friends. I'm not saying that they were wrong to like be kind to him all those years ago. I'm just saying that like inauthentic relationships also have their downfalls. It's one thing to be nice to someone who you don't really want to be friends with, but I wonder if they went too far and Pettigrew always saw himself as someone who just like had to be the least liked person in a group. Basically, I'm saying, Casper, I've been in friends with you out of pity this whole time, and I think it might turn you into a murderer one day. And so we should stop.
0: I don't deny it. <laughs> I mean, you're right. That's certainly how we see the relationship, especially between Sirius and Pettigrew in this chapter. But, you know, Sirius has had 13 years of brooding about the betrayal that Peter— you know, enacted. and So I wonder if at the time, you know, when they were in like middle school, there were real friendships. And of of course, we'll learn that Peter kind of looked lovingly at James and was always a little bit jealous in the same way that I think we see Ron look at Harry sometimes. But my assumption is that the friendship was true. It wasn't a kind of mean girl situation where Sirius is like, you can't sit with us.
1: No, I think Sirius was like, even though you're not wearing pink, you can sit with us. <laughs> and I guess I'm advocating for more of a mean girl's mentality where you have to be wearing pink.
0: Clear boundaries.
1: Yeah. I'm obviously not arguing for that. And I really like your point that in hindsight, there's that spin to it, but that we're all a little bit jealous of each other in friendships. And that if you catch any of us on a bad memory, we're right. looking at each other and are like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> except with you, my love. <laughs>
0: Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice, and this week we're doing Lectio Divina.
1: Ooh.
0: um, And I need your help in finding the sentence. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you the pages in my UK paperback copy of this book, A Prisoner of Askaban. This chapter 19 starts at page 263 and goes to 276. Can you give me a number in between those two? Two 275. Ooh. Okay, so we're looking at the back end. And a number between... Uh, Gosh, maybe about 1 and 14. I think there's about 14 paragraphs. Thirteen. Okay. This is the sentence. If anyone deserves that place, he does.
1: (sighs) That's intense.
0: Okay. So stage one is just thinking literally what's happening in this first reading just at a, a story level. Where are we in the narrative?
1: Harry is saying that Pettigrew should not be killed, but that he should be taken to Azkaban And he is saying that if anybody deserves that terrible place that is Azkaban, it is Peter Pettigrew.
0: Right. And at this point, Harry should know because Hagrid has been there and, of course, Sirius has been there. And he's experienced Dementors himself. So it's not a flippant comment. He knows a little of what suffering is there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So stage two, we're now starting to think at an allegorical level. What other stories or images or even songs or poems does this remind us of? If anyone deserves that place, he does.
1: I mean, it just reminds me of all of these moments after great injustices, like what do we do with the perpetrators of the crimes? And so often those conversations are actually not about what is just or fair for the people on trial, but who does society want to be after these traumas? You know, does society want to be executing people who executed? Or does society want to be a place in which they rise above that? And I think, you know, we see different circumstances leading to all sorts of different conclusions, right? Italy dealt with Mussolini very differently than Germany decided to deal with high-ranking SS officers. And I think that that has to do with timing and that has to do with emotion and it has to do with all sorts of very complicated different things.
0: But also the judgment is being made by a uh, like, 13-year-old boy
1: But I often think that that's the case too, right? Where the judgment is being made by people who you wouldn't necessarily suspect.
0: Well, and in this case, the judgment is being made by someone who's been directly impacted by the crime. Right, which which isn't
1: the way we structure it, at least in America, right? Like the survivors and victims don't get to decide. It's a jury of our peers who gets to decide. What about you? What does it remind you of allegorically?
0: Mm. If anyone deserves that place, he does. This is a little bit weird, but in the British Parliament, there are two houses. There's the House of Commons and the House of Lords. And the House of Commons is elected and the House of Lords is appointed. And if you're in one house, you can't say the name of the other house. So if you're in the Commons, which is you know what, what you might see on TV with the green benches, you refer to the Lords as the other place, which I don't know. and I'm just thinking of, of this language that Harry uses if anyone deserves that place, right? There's something about not saying the word Azkaban here, which is interesting to me. And it might be that he's avoiding the real pain of what he knows will be there. And he like he, he's like, I've made this merciful decision. I don't want to think about it anymore. Go, go and suffer. Like, you know, because if I did put myself in your shoes, I would probably empathize with you because it is horrific.
1: And, you know, and Harry, if we pull out a little bit, has just said he can go to Azkaban if anybody deserves that place. But I wonder if throughout that sentence he's sort of processing and by the end of the sentence has processed the fact that maybe James wouldn't even want his old friend to go to Azkaban. Maybe James would be granting an even greater mercy. But he's like, do you know what? I don't care. Okay, I'm not going to turn my dad's friends into murderers and I'm not going to kill you in the name of my dad. But I want you to go to that terrible place and is like already feeling guilty that he's not granting enough mercy. I do that all the time where I like give a homeless person a dollar. And as soon as I walk away, I'm like, I should have given them five. Right. Like you feel like you're being merciful. And then by the end of the action, you're like, that wasn't enough mercy. Why was I thinking that that was generous at all?
0: It brings me back to that the kind of father figure in the prodigal son story where he's not just giving a dollar, right? He's not just welcoming the son home and saying, yeah, you asked to work in the stables. I will let you work in the stables as a worker. I welcome you back fully into your, your whole personhood. And like, here's a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. And let's have a feast in your honor because you're a son of mine.
1: Right. True mercy is the full dignity. It's like one of the opening scenes in Les Miserables where... Jean Valjean steals from a bishop and the bishop doesn't say, oh, I forgive you for stealing. No big deal. He's like, take everything you stole. And in fact, you didn't take the candlesticks and then says to Jean Valjean, I have bought your soul. Like now you have to go be good. And it's that merciful act creates Jean Valjean becoming this incredibly merciful person. I'm a cliche of myself. I'm like, it starts with the Holocaust and ends with Les Mis.
0: Ah. I only
1: only know three stories. so I'm just going to keep telling them. (laughs)
0: okay so let's move on to stage three so at this point we want to reflect about what experiences in our own lives does this remind us of so let me read the sentence again if anyone deserves that place he does
1: yeah i think it's making me think of moments in which i can help restore the full dignity of somebody else and moments in which it's like not within my power to do so or it at minimum feels as though By restoring other people's dignity, I would be risking my own. And I mean, that really comes down to like helping somebody else out financially, right? I want to be able to do that. But then I get scared that if I give too much money to anybody, like how am I going to live a dignified life in which I'm not begging from other people? You know what that line is. That's something that I struggle with all the time. What about you, Casper?
0: The thing that it reminds me of is we've read it in a generous way that Harry's being merciful, but this can also be really spiteful, you know, that there's a real nasty edge to this sentence. And I think it reminds me of times when I feel kind of vindictive, maybe this is still pretty much in the moment of Harry finding out that Pettigrew is responsible, right? All of the, the fear and the hate that Harry has been directing at Sirius throughout this whole book, throughout this whole academic year, he's now zeroing in on Pettigrew. I know that it takes me a couple of days to like calm down after I've been really annoyed by something or I've been wounded. And I think Harry is definitely acting from that place of being hurt. And so it's reminding me of, you know, I was reading some comments on Facebook today, someone didn't realize they were writing about me and I was really offended by what they said. And I I just wanted to like, let them have it, you know, and just be like, oh, you didn't know I could see this, but meh, 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 meh. So I get that impulse.
1: Well, and I'm completely selfish in those moments. I feel like I call you or Ariana to process it. And I'm like, I can send this email, right? And you're like, no. And then two (laughs) days later, I'm in that place. So why do I even put that on you guys? And why don't I just wait two
0: days? But I think so often we can't do that, right? I'm kind of surprised... In the previous chapter, Harry was saying, you know, Sirius deserves worse than Azkaban. He deserves to die. I want to kill him. And he really goes for it, right? He's got the wand at his face. And yet in this chapter, it's reversed. And he's saying, you know, Pettigrew shouldn't die. We should be merciful. He should go to Azkaban. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact that Harry couldn't kill Sirius, right? He tried. His mind wanted to, but his body wouldn't let him in some way. I just think that's really interesting, So the final stage of Lectio is when we try and ask, what has the text invited us to do? Traditionally, it would be, you know, what is God saying through this text? So I'll read it one last time. If anyone deserves that place, he does.
1: I mean, I just can't help think about the fact that Harry is right to want to lock up Pettigrew because Pettigrew gets freed, which is what allows Voldemort to rise again. Mm. And I'm not sure I know what to do with that, right? It's like... Mercy has a time and a place, and sometimes we have to contain things in order to prevent evil from getting evil, right? And I know this is really abstract, but, like, I feel called to think through justice more. I think the brilliant moment in that scene in Les Mis is that the priest then says to Jean Valjean, I've bought your soul. He doesn't say, like, okay, stealing isn't a problem. Like, go next door and keep stealing, And so I'm not sure what to do with it. I just, I feel called to think through mercy even more. Maybe just like we can just keep thinking through the theme of mercy every like two chapters (laughs) because I super haven't figured it out. What about you, Casper? What do you feel called to?
0: One piece of the puzzle that I feel like we haven't really understood fully is Peter's full story, right? We get glimpses of him from other people's perspective, but he's still kind of a 2D character, right? It's pretty flat. I, I guess. I mean, I feel like this happens every time we do Lectio, but I feel called to learn more about people's stories before I judge them. Yeah. So maybe that person on Facebook had a legitimate reason
1: <laughs> before that.
0: They infuriated me.
1: Probably not, though. Probably not.
0: I agree. <laughs> Today's voicemail is from Blair, who's taking us back to chapter 11, The Firebolt.
2: Hi, Casper. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Ariana. This is Blair from Sacramento, and I'm calling about the chapter on duty specifically when we were talking about Sirius sending Harry, the Firebolt. So while I do agree with you that there probably is a sense of duty, um, I'm a godmother to one of my nieces and I do feel the sense of duty to want to be a good godmother and uphold the sanctity of what that means. However, I absolutely think that Sirius loves Harry because we can't forget that Harry was a year old when Voldemort killed his parents. We even see in book seven in the letter that um, Lily writes to Bathilda that the broomstick that Sirius gave him for his first birthday was his favorite toy. And he includes a picture of Harry, like zooming a couple feet off the ground. So this is a relationship that has been fostered for a year. And if you've ever been around a child for any amount of time that has a good relationship with you or something bound like being a godfather, there is so much love. You cannot help but love that child. So I think that there is probably a very deep sense of love there. and longing that he missed all of this time and wanting to do whatever he can to bridge the 12 years that he did not get to spend with Harry. So that was just my thoughts of love and duty don't have to necessarily be mutually exclusive.
0: Blair, oh my God, your voicemail just connected two things for me, which I'm really excited about, which is that Sirius sends him like a little baby broom for Harry to play with, and it's Harry's favorite toy. And then much later, he sends him an actual broom. And I just had never seen those connections. And
1: it's his favorite toy. And
0: <laughs> exactly all those years <laughs> later, later.
1: Yeah. 13 isn't too old to have a favorite toy. No. I'm 35 and I have favorite toys.
0: No further questions.
1: So, Casper, now is the time in which we offer a blessing. Whom would you like to bless this
0: week? My blessing is for Ron. We haven't really talked about him in this chapter, but he's a presence throughout the scene, of course. And he has been responsible for Pettigrew, right? He's been keeping him alive in many ways and feeding him and looking after him. And he takes on this responsibility, even though he has a broken leg, but he volunteers to be chained next to Pettigrew, so Pettigrew can't escape. And I feel like it's this beautiful instance of Ron taking responsibility for something that he didn't intend, but was part of. And I think we often talk about Ron as someone, you know, his reaction to Lupin being a werewolf, for example, is this kind of metaphor for discrimination and, and nastiness in so many ways. And yet here's Ron taking on a responsibility in a way that he didn't need to, right? He's got a broken leg. Who would ask him to to walk next to someone? But I, I don't know, there was something poetic, I thought, in that, that doesn't necessarily redeem him, but illustrates that Ron also wants to do the right thing, even if he doesn't always. Amen. How about you?
1: So Hermione is the only woman in this chapter, but it is a pleasure to bless her. And I'm going to bless her for the way that she speaks to Sirius. She still very much thinks that Sirius is guilty, but she says, "Um, Mr. Black, Sirius. And Sirius gets taken off guard because he's being spoken to with so much respect and dignity. And as we're trying to figure out this idea between granting mercy on someone but wanting to prevent them from maybe continuing negative actions the way that we see Pettigrew do, I think that Hermione points us in one good direction, which is that, Even if we can't, for whatever reason, grant someone mercy, that doesn't mean that we can't treat them with dignity. So I want to bless Hermione for sort of pointing us in that direction.
0: That's beautiful. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Remember to join Vanessa and Ariana in Chicago and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, or leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you in a voicemail. Please send us a blessing for one of the characters that you have. And we'll see you next week when we read Chapter 20, The Dementor's Kiss Through the Theme of Justice.
1: This episode was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Terkyle, and me, Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. This week's voicemail is thanks to Blair, and we would also like to thank Rebecca and Charlie Ledley and Stephanie Paulsell. Bye.
0: I watched Magic Mike yesterday, and it was so disappointing.
1: Oh, I disagree.
0: It was such a bad movie.
1: Oh my God, you're crazy.
0: No, uh, Magic Mike Two apparently is supposed to be good, but Magic Mike was bad.
1: No, you're both of them are brilliant films. <gasps> okay.
0: I'm Joseph Fink, and I'd like to introduce you to I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, a podcast about the shifting line between artist and fan. When I was a child, reading the authors that I loved and listening to the music that I loved, the thing I got from that is that feeling of of being understood somehow, and that weird connection where it's not the person, it's not the stranger, it's the thing they've made that opens this space for self reflection. I only listen to The Mountain Goats. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.